Hey guys, welcome to the Tech People Podcast. My name is Ken Coyne. I'm your host and founder, as well as head of technology at Ops Talent. I believe at the heart of any success story are the people who made it happen. Diversity, creativity, and innovation, when nurtured in people, can lead to an unbeatable formula. I created this podcast to share the experiences of some truly inspirational leaders on their journey to success. Enjoy the show. Hey guys, welcome back. This week I'm really excited to share my chat with Rich Rogers, who has nearly 20 years of advanced marketing across agencies, startups and large enterprises, and is currently the Global Digital Marketing Director for Adrilliant Technologies. He says he loves marketing, growing marketing teams and building advanced marketing strategies, which I can attest to is extremely important to the success of your, of your organization. In our chat, he shares this incredible entrepreneurial journey from starting his first business when he was just 16 to his latest venture into e-bikes. While he works in the corporate world now, he still consults with multiple startups and shares fantastic advice for entrepreneurs from success and failures. So welcome to the show, Rich. Thanks, Ken. Pleasure being here. Thank you. No, great to have you. Listen, so I always start with to get to learn a bit more about our guests. So could you tell us for the audience a bit about yourself and your background? Absolutely. My name is Rich Rogers. I live in a town called Westchester, PA, right outside of Philadelphia. I lived here uh, pretty much most of my life in this area. I started out, really, I think it's something that's been with me since I was born, just being a, a, a person that loves startups and being okay. in business and thinking about new ideas. So I think it's, it's something that you're, I've been born with, at least. I've been starting different companies and pretty much my whole life and until just recently. I've I've actually now the global digital marketing director for Agilent Technologies for the past uh, just about two and a half years. But before that, I started my first company actually at sixteen. I was uh, <laughs> yeah, it was actually, well, actually before I, the, just before you tell us about that. Were, you, were yeah. your were your family entrepreneurs? Like were your parents entrepreneurs, or like how did that you know? Or just naturally you just got into the entrepreneurial journey? My my grandfather owned a soda company. My my dad, he wasn't an entrepreneur, though he worked his way up within a company. And he, he worked with Hitachi, actually, for uh, yes. just about all my life. <laughs> so now I think it's uh, something I just gravitated to for some reason or another. My brother's not. No one else in my family that I know is. Interesting. Yeah, okay. Okay, sorry. Go, go back to your Tell us about the first company when you were 16. <laughs> well, I was trying to, you know, I always had these goals to try to become super wealthy millionaire at the time and right. you know, have nice cars and whatever, <laughs> <laughs> you know, impress girls, I guess at 60. Yeah. But the idea actually was before the internet, even I hate to say that I date myself, but it was, <laughs> it's actually, I still have this card actually sitting here. It's called VPN. Which, um, I'm sorry, uh, APN, Automotive Purchasers Network. And I, yeah. I figured out a way that you can get a bird dog fee from car dealers. And I learned this when my parents were looking for a car at the time. And um, they would give you a hundred, you know, maybe two hundred dollars for a car. And I put ads in the local auto trader magazines that were out there. They didn't cost much, maybe twenty five, fifty bucks at the time. And set up a phone number, you know. And anyone who called in, they you know, basically told me what kind of car they were looking for. Back in those days, you didn't know, like, if you wanted to get, you know, a, a Ford Bronco, let's say, you had to go to car dealerships one after another and look around for them. There's no internet. 
or cars.com. So I would call all of the Ford dealers asking, do you have a 1985 Ford Bronco? And whoever did, I put a list together and I called the person back. Well, I think I only got two and I made, I don't know, maybe 150 bucks at the time off of it. But for me, that was my Ford, my, my first jump into it. And to this day, my dad said, you know, that, that idea you had for the cars, that was really good back then. You should have, you know, maybe done, done more of that. I was 16. Uh, what did I know at the time? But it was sort of a good experience. And I, I, I look at that now and I think my daughters are 13, 15. I almost want to tell them, forget college the first year. Yeah. Let me give you that money instead of college to start your own business. Because I think you're going to learn more out of that than anything else. Um, mm-hmm. And I think, I think for me, the takeaway for most startups I've had has everyone is a new adventure and you learn something new from each of them. Yeah, after that, uh, I went to college, uh, studied communications, advertising, marketing, and um, then went into it was the dot com era. So learning H, learning how to build and develop on the web. I decided to make a, a Ute turn and think about something else and made a made a turn to to law. Actually, I studied, became a lawyer, focused on internet wow. cyber law at the time it was called, and did that for just about one year. And uh, during that time, I had this idea, which was at the time, very similar to Yelp meets Google, uh, you know, the, the 360s with Google and had an idea where you can create a backend platform for restaurants and businesses, hotels to, to get onto the web for the first time, create these web pages, as well as giving the users a virtual experience to travel to Dublin, travel to Rome. And if you're going to buy the a leather jacket, you would go to Florence. And you know, if you want to buy that, you know, you yeah. know the, the Rocky shirt in Philadelphia, you could go to the, yeah. the actual shop as if you were there. Well, I was in a big law firm at the time and looking out the window and dreaming about being an entrepreneur. <laughs> I, I quit my job. A good friend wow. of mine, he was, he was with Arthur Anderson at the time. And uh, we both quit our jobs. And just about a few weeks later, we had investors too. Okay. I go overseas and I meet my now wife and we, I come back and it was the dot-com crash. We lost our investors. I, I didn't have a job. So it was like, oh man. So I spent the next six months trying to recoup and try to find investors. And during that time, I started building out more of the technology on the 360 virtual tour actually at the time. And um, the 3D tour is what I called it. And what I basically did was because it was tough to find a... With the crash and all, it was tough to get back into the law. I just couldn't do it. And I wanted to keep pursuing this, but I needed money. And uh, I decided to turn it into something different and pivot very quickly. And within about six, seven months, one of the first things I did was put a new site together, build out some samples. And I tried to look bigger than what I was, to be honest with you. And I I learned through different things that Philadelphia Eagles are Local football team had a new stadium that was being built and they had a new training and practice facility, new office building that was being put. And I, I was calling companies every single day and I just got lucky to be honest with you that the Eagles actually picked up. It was the right time at the right place. And it was between me and it was called iPix at the time, which was this big giant company that were doing you know, thousands and thousands of virtual tours for different hotels and restaurant chains. And the Eagles liked my presentation and I, I guess the quality of what we did. But I looked for that gave our quality at the time. People were still in dial-up. So what separated me from the big guys was the attention to service, but it was also the quality 
of the image at a very quick download. So I, I worked on how to compress that down using different off-the-shelf technologies. And this is something that the big guys just didn't do. They were just more like, you know, pumping out tours and more like a factory. So the Philadelphia Eagles actually signed on with me. They were my first client. And if you know anything about Philadelphia, and it's probably like this where you're at, if you get the local Eagles sporting, you know, sport club or the Phillies, you are gold. So (laughs) I mean, I was all over the place showing the logo. This is who we do, who we work with. Fantastic. And it just snowballed from there, to be honest with you. But I, I don't know what would have happened to me or where my life would be, honestly, if I wasn't out there making that call. And I think it was because you're really hungry. And when you really have your back against the wall, and honestly, there's a few months of runway left for me to be able to sustain that, you know, no money coming in, yeah. an apartment to pay for, a car to pay for, college loans to pay back, that I was on the phone all the time making calls. And a lot of those calls that I made that wouldn't be picked up, once we got the Eagles, it was easy for me to go back and advertise the fact that you know we work with the Eagles. And um, yeah, I was literally on the phone at the time. Email wasn't even an option. It was just getting in front of the right people and understanding who they were, which companies would be a good fit for me to get in front of. Years later, skip ahead 20 years, this is exactly what I do now in what's called account-based marketing. And a lot of the work that I put into what I was doing from that starting point with that business turned into exactly how I would market and grow my businesses at. And it was a great learning experience. And a lot of takeaways from that I still use today. And I consult and educate teams and clients on how to actually go out and identify the right, the right client at the right time and how to get the messaging in front of them so that it's relevant to them and it resonates and it converts. So it was interesting. <laughs> I don't know where I'd be yeah. today if I didn't make that it's call. A, it's a very interesting topic. And I think it's a lot, a lot of companies suffer, but I mean, especially startups. Is, I mean, one, how do you, you know, who is your client? How do you target them? Um, and is it still, do you feel it's still very much, you know, cold calling, you know, phone calls or uh, in the environment that you're working now? Or do you think it's more email or, you know, how do you, could you share some, you know, experiences what you think would work for companies or in what you've experienced? The sales teams are going to hate me for saying this. I grew up, <laughs> my dad, he was a, a, a life, uh, he was you know, uh, in sales and I just learned by osmosis through him. But if marketing does its job, sales is not as important. Most of what's happening today is, is on the web. They're educating themselves. Sales obviously plays an incredibly important role in that. But in if marketing knows what they're doing and targeting the right accounts and getting in front of them with the right messaging, understanding their pain points, their needs, and we come in and we address those, then those companies feel like they feel like we know them even before they're a customer. And if we treat them as a customer before they're a customer, they see what they're going to get when they become a customer. And that's where the sales and the marketing come together. And if you're in line, uh, aligned with the sales team, you identify that that account has this particular pain point. They have and this is how our, our team can come in with solutions that fit that. And the marketing and the sales align on the messaging. We track it together and uh, sales comes in and, and they, they close that deal out and they, they solidify that relationship that is set up by marketing. And marketing really sets that up. And a lot of that comes back to the research. So going back to the Philadelphia Eagles example, <laughs> if I didn't read in the paper that they're building a new facility or see it on the television at the time, they may not have been on my call list. And okay. I think you've got to have a lot of 
feelers out there, you got to understand what's happening. There's some great things like DNB Hoovers that you can use, Google Alerts even, that will give you insight into those accounts and what, what's going on. In my particular space, you could find maybe a, a lab got a grant, you know, several million dollars, and they're expanding out a cancer facility. It were retailers now looking to go global before we get those alerts and find out that you know the, the, the market in Europe for a particular brand is starting to grow and there's a big demand for that. So let's utilize that and let's go after that retailer and push that brand because we know they're looking to expand there and show them how we can do it, why they you know, and trusting in us, but what their decision to go into Europe is a good decision and what we can do to make it easier for them and be a partner with them. And that's where I think sales really comes in is to solidify that partnership with them. And as I said before, if marketing does its job right, we know who that account is. We've identified the pain points. We've gotten the right message in front of them. And it becomes a lot easier for sales then. And it also weeds out a lot of the companies that you don't want to waste your time on. And that's probably for me, I understand for sales, one of the biggest pain points for them is we get so many leads, especially from digital. How do we know which is a good one? How do we know which one's wasting our time? And pre-qualifying, that's really important. So, Very interesting. Yeah, because I mean, even at the moment now, we're redoing all our marketing at the moment in our own company and ops talent and really trying to get the focus on inbound going, which we haven't got in the past and getting the name out there. It's actually the same, actually, when you look at the, the HR side and, you know, building a brand, recruitment is hard, hard work. But if you've got a good brand, it's much easier to recruit and get the people in. It makes the job to recruit is much easier also. It goes back to your point, doesn't it? I mean, it's building that brand and getting the, informa- the information out there and get the people coming to you. Yep. But how, I mean, that's, is it more difficult though for startups? I mean, in that space, because I mean, they don't have those budgets to invest in, you know, to get the marketing and the sales going at the same time. Or is that when you're building a startup, is that a key requirement that you have to have certain marketing? You know, you need everybody to see the right product, marketing, sales. I mean, what, do you, what are your thoughts on this in terms of the startup then side? The startups, I think it's even more important to get that right. The number one thing for me is to not waste money in marketing. And if you're in a B2B startup, sit down and spend the time on the research side to understand who the customers are, who your ideal customer is. And that ideal customer may change. And don't expect it to stay the same year for year. Keep analyzing that. Understanding who that is, you can identify who the other companies are that fit that that mold and target them, put the effort into them, rank them. And if you don't do that, you are playing a game of let's advertise on Facebook, let's advertise on LinkedIn to anyone in this region that might be in this space. You really don't know. And you waste, you know, I was at Wanamaker said, you know, I'd like to know what half my, but half of my marketing's working really well, but I, if I only knew which half or something like that. Oh my God. It's, it's like 20 years going back to, uh, to that one. But yeah. It is very interesting that marketing, that sales thing and focus. I'm hearing it time and time again. People just don't do it. I mean, would you agree with that? I mean, you really have to narrow down that focus, don't you? You do. And that's where I see your startup. Don't try to you know, sell it to the world. Focus on, on those that you know are more likely to convert and buy from you. And if you're a B2C startup, you're going to need the money. You're absolutely going to need the money to make it. There's some things out there like growth hacker marketing techniques, which I've employed it which worked really well and got us in front of the right audience at the right time and grew our business from zero to 60,000 subscribers in less than six months. Um, wow. 
It's incredible. It was interesting, but I had a, the last startup I was with, we worked with US retailers to bring them to Europe. And we also wanted to allow European buyers to shop from US online stores. And at the time, it was like $24 billion in goods were being sold online through US okay. retailers to, to foreign consumers. What was, and you probably experienced this, what's really difficult is buying from a US company, maybe not the Amazons of the world, but others where there's duties and tariffs that come into play that it's a big mystery until it gets there. The shipping cost costs more than the product that you're sending sometimes. The shipping is inefficient. The boxes that you get, half of it's a product, the other half is empty space. Yeah. When it comes to international shipping, you're paying for both. And that's a big challenge. Credit card payments, you could have an you know, A plus credit score, but when you get into a you know, foreign company and you're buying something online, you're getting rejected for no reason. Just because they see somebody overseas buying something from a US company and the alarms go off. So I tried to cut back and, and look, at, look at that and, and checkbox every one of these barriers and figure out a solution for that. And but funny, but one of the things we did was we found that a majority at the time of our customers were coming in and we looked at what was being sold, what was, what was being searched for. And it was makeup. And it was makeup for those that were, I'd say, 18 to 30 years old. And it was the, gosh, if I can remember, the ColourPop. I know Kylie Jenner was a big one. And it was interesting, but finding Kylie Jenner in our warehouse over and over and over again. Yeah, yeah our warehouse guys, they smelled like makeup and perfume and, and candles, um, which they probably hated me for marketing all the time because they were pretty heavy candles. But the idea was we looked at using the data of what was being searched from a digital standpoint and what was coming into the warehouse at the same time. And using that data, I'm not kidding, but daily and weekly of what's happening and then carving the, the marketing around that from a digital standpoint. And to grow from zero to 60,000, put some growth hacker marketing techniques into play, one of which was early on, it's now called influencer marketing. But I, I had my marketing team create a list of top 200 YouTube accounts of women that were talking about makeup and beauty and fashion and put a formula together that they had to have X number of subscribers and each of their videos had to have X number of views and then set them loose and uh, my team and go out and get them to do a video for us. You know, we would give them product, we would pay them in some cases, and a lot of them were just happy to do it just to be able to sample it and have content for their videos on YouTube. And some of these had, you know, 40, 50,000 views a piece and you know, 100,000 subscribers. We hit this really hard. We timed it perfectly. And within one week, we had a number of YouTubers talking about us. And we were sitting around in you know, our office and our warehouse and just getting started. And, you know, we're, we're just starting. It's empty. The minute that that YouTube video hit, it was literally like something out of a TV show or a movie. You heard the ding, 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 ding for an hour straight and just wow. people signing up and signing up. And we started just continually doing that and then sponsoring, sponsoring bloggers, putting together an event where we brought all the top YouTubers in fashion together in the UK for an event. And it was sort of like the Willy Wonka idea. If you, if you buy something from us in one of the boxes, you will have a, like a, a rose gold certificate and you and a friend get to come to this big event in London. And, um, you know, more people then start telling their friends about it and posting on Instagram. And, blogging about Very it. Cool. 
it grew from from zero to 60k because of that and very little money actually on on marketing dollars I'm, I'm amazed because I, I would have thought that would be a massive investment not to get influencers interesting what what you shared or in your experience really yeah i think the entire campaign yeah it's just it's amazing what you can do when your back's against the wall and as a startup your back's always against the wall and typically i could say that when you look at that sand in the hourglass each one of those is a dollar and flip it over every time you get your next investment around because that's it goes very quickly and that's all that you have until you either succeed you can break even you don't need to rely on investors or you get your next investment around but you you're always on that schedule or you're you're flipping it every time and you don't have time to waste so you have to be creative you have to pivot if things don't work out you have to do something else that really worked well for the makeup with that audience and what started happening is one of the youtubers in one of the videos had a candle from bath and body works that was in the background and in the comment section people were talking about the candles that she had if i remember right and uh the next thing you know we send the the next one a bunch of candles and it up and all of the people signing up after that wave all wanted these candles so it's interesting in that you look at the data not only the performance of the market but look deeper into that and what's happening and we found that you know by the end we actually had probably more candles going out than anything else in the warehouse because of one video that we saw with that type of uh, with that type yeah, of feedback just, within, yeah, within the incredible. comments it really is incredible and thank you for sharing that i think uh, quite helpful to a lot of our listeners talk to me about i mean just briefly maybe about some of the failures and you know i mean what what have you learned from them and now i guess <laughs> you've had a couple along the way <laughs> well, the first one is this car finding idea <laughs> uh, i think actually i think everyone has something to learn from the biggest failure i've had was a company i started called liveclip.com which okay. i still have the domain name i still hold hope <laughs> one day <laughs> I it's going to come my, good. My, it's going to come good. It's going to happen. <laughs> I think I started this in 2003, actually working from that Eagles contract. We would go up to Eagles training camp. And this was a, an annual event that people would flock to in the thousands and bring their families with them and watch the Eagles practice during the preseason, if you can imagine that. We were asked to do video for them. And we started actually one of the first in the NFL to do video for, for teams and put a, put a broadcast together for them. And I wanted to create an experience for these these fans to upload their video experience of meeting players and players, you know, having catch or whatever, just, and meeting with their kids. And YouTube wasn't around back then. And this is like 2002, 2003. So I started liveclip.com and I still remember the, the really bad slogan, bad logo at the time was where you're the star and started putting it together. I thought I could find investors and I kept hearing from a lot of investors and anything. This is a really bad idea. No one's going to do this. How are you going to upload video on the web? This is not going to work. I said, you know what? I love this idea. I'm going to go forward and do it myself. So I funded all of it myself, stopped at one point and started up again. And then I remember getting a, was a Skype message from my developer at the time saying, have you heard of this YouTube? I said, the band? And he goes, no, no, let's check this out. And I think it was Rod Stewart's daughter, actually. It was one of the first posters that I remember on YouTube. I said, oh my God, this is exactly what we're doing. We got to accelerate. And YouTube came out. And one of the stories about YouTube, it was actually Saturday Night Live TV show that helped YouTube become what it is today. And I was all over this. Oh. I was just fixated on it. Yeah. But there was a video, a Lazy Sunday. For, for If anyone wants to look back at the history of YouTube, look up uh, Google Lazy Sunday in YouTube. That video at the time, it just propelled YouTube into becoming YouTube today. 
And they went from a startup in about February. We launched three months later. No one's ever heard of us. And then by September, October that year, they became a billion dollar acquisition from Google. I had to shut down. We had, I think we had about 10,000 subscribers maybe, and maybe I think 100,000 videos at the time in our library, if I remember. But we had tons of cease and desist letters coming in and threats for for lawsuits coming. And the the law at the time was a gray area. No one knew what you could do with the background music and the videos. We had to keep taking stuff down. It became such a mess. That was a failure, but I shut it down pretty quickly and kept the technology and turned it into something different where we went to companies and we, we had a whole roster of talent in this area. I'm, I'm right down the street from QVC. So having right. talent go online and the idea was to turn retailers into their own QVC and create a platform based off of my live clip plat- video platform where we could stream the video and make it very easy for companies to hire a spokes model. We have a green screen studio and they could create a number of different videos that uh, look like QVC. So we started working with JNR Music at the time, was one of the biggest retailers in the world. We started shooting for apartmentguide.com, doing videos for apartments, hotel chains, and it became a success then, but not as the original wow. success that I was hoping to be like the YouTube, but it turned into something else. And then that actually that became a pretty good, pretty good run. And that was a, a great pivot moment for me. But I still wish that at some point live clip would have taken off and my my daughters just addicted to YouTube. They would have known that, that you know, that's dad's, you know, company. Yeah. yeah. But, wasn't to be, wasn't to be. But I used to, what there's probably a lot of people with that yeah. story. Yeah, I suppose that's true. I mean, what they say is that 90% of startups fail, but it's interesting how it evolved. But are you still working with startups then or are you kind of finished in that space? I do. Yeah, all the time. It's a passion of mine. Absolutely love it. I consult with them. I still get involved with some on my own. I Actually, there's a uh, e-bike company called Etronics, E-T-R-O-N-X, cycles.com. Okay. Absolutely love this idea. It's um, especially in times of COVID, I don't see people getting back on trams and buses or at least wanting to. And I think that there's a big movement now, a green movement happening uh, as a result where you see in London, for instance, and, and Paris, the, the cities are changing the way that they lay out their cities to have more bike lanes and be more bike friendly. And I think that e-bikes right now are, and it's it's one of the coolest things, I think, because especially as you get older, it's like having an extra leg on the back of your bike that's you know from someone who rides the Tour de France. I mean, having that yeah. type of power, the motto is ride more, stress less. So you can ride more. People are riding more on e-bikes and it gets you where you need to go. Uh, incredibly environmental friendly. Um, and what it, what it basically means is people that normally would say, I'm going to go to work and it's 10, 15 minutes away by walk. You're there in a few minutes by bike and you're, you're not sweating. You're not yeah. exerting all of the, you know, the stress that you would normally have. And people do ride more. I think this is, this is an area I think that startups, there's a number of startups happening right now on the web and Indiegogo is a Kickstarter. You see these ads all over the place now for different startups, but I think it's, Again, it's going to be a race to see who does it, but I think there's going to be a lot of a lot of a lot of competition, but a lot of potential for for any one of these to hit. Yeah, I right, listen. I'm just looking at it here. It looks very cool. So, uh, is that are they live now, or when will they be? When will you be live with this one? Yeah, it's actually it's really cool. But the pre-orders or the the VIP list is available now, and it looks like that would go live on Indiegogo uh, sometime next next year, early next year. The two prototypes I saw videos of. 
look absolutely amazing. The cool thing about that is they don't look like e-bikes as the tubing in the frame is really specially made to be very thin, like a regular bike and special Samsung batteries are put inside of that. So you don't have that big clunky battery on the back or in the middle of it. And it's very lightweight too. And so there were some engineering challenges with that and having the right type of uh, throttle, for instance, the Bluetooth connectivity. I'm okay. a tech guy, so you can't have a bike that's just an e-bike. It has to have all the bells and whistles. So having a GPS alarm system, if someone shakes your bike or steals it, you can see where it's at. Having the Bluetooth connectivity with an app and you know, that for me is all the cool stuff that makes you want to buy something like that. But then when you actually get on it, it's it's amazing. And two two of the prototypes are done. They passed QA with flying colors. So I can't wait. I'm going to try it. I think I'm going to get mine in about three weeks from now. It's on a shipping container awesome. right now somewhere. Yeah, awesome. Do you have a retail price on it already or not yet? Yeah, these are looking at 1500 for the bikes. Okay. And um, I guess when we put them, when they go on Indiegogo, I'm going to help out with some of the marketing on that and get some of the awareness from them. It's all the awesome. side, you know, nights and weekends work now that I get involved with. But um, I do like to meet with different startups. And you know, I just had a call last week with one that's in different parts of my past. I've worked in different areas of B2B, B2C. And I really do, I really do like the work of B2B marketing right now and getting, getting B2B startups to think about not wasting the money, how to get the right messaging and set up properly. To be honest with you, if you, if you don't have your data set up now, you're going to pay for it later. So the right. most important thing that I do is try to get them to think about how to go get Salesforce, you know, set up Pardot, get your CRM set up right. Think about where you're going. And part of the investment that you're looking to get this round or the next round, a lot of it's going to come back to your data and where you're going with that data. The insight that you get from that data is incredibly important. And you you're going to have to pivot. You're going to have to think about going from, like my example, from makeup to candles, maybe. That data is feeding that and you need that insight. And you have to look at it daily and educate your teams on what to look for and how to do that. In B2B, it's using the third-party uh, third data that's out there, understanding what's available. In a lot of cases, uh, startups don't even know what they can get. You have all the tools now. And using right. your first-party data, combined with that third-party data, you can operate like the big guys out there. And you can really challenge them. Branding is incredibly important. And I'm the, probably the worst critic out there. Pretty mean. But branding is really, really important, especially if you're a startup. You want to look like you've got your act together. And if, right. if you don't, then you know, you're really shooting yourself in the foot. So and That's the big benefit of an online business also, is that you can look bigger than you actually are. Yeah, definitely. There's a lot of a lot of tricks out there too to make it look even bigger than than what you are. But at the end of the day, you really you do want to be honest with your customers as well. And I think that there's that that appreciation when you're real with your customers. And if you are a startup, like an e-bike startup, you know, if you're two two guys in a garage, use that. People like to see that. You know, what's the journey here? What's the story behind this company? What are you doing for for us as a customer? What are you doing as a company? Where are you growing? What what's your values? And I see that, especially with the younger consumers on the B2C side, that's a really important thing for them. And you know, maybe 20 years ago, it wasn't as much, but now that has to be part of the message as well. And um, the company, that's why I love this e-bike thing, because it is so environmentally friendly. It's also, from a health standpoint, there's that angle, which right. you know, the 55-year-old that had a knee replacement would never be on a bike today. Mm. Yeah, but now they are, because they don't have to push like they had to before. So there's that customer base just sitting there waiting to learn about it. 
and they might be afraid to even get back on a bike, but now they can. The 70 year old that used to ride bikes 30 years ago, whatever, now they can get back and, and ride as long as, as they used to or use that as their main transportation. There's those different angles you want to look for in your customer base. And that again comes back to the messaging with the right content that is relevant and resonates with them. Great advice. Yeah, because even recently I was talking to a friend of mine in London and what they're doing now is they have the, you know, the congestion charge into the city, which is quite big. It can be standard 15 euros and the cars and up to a certain quality. It's another 15 on top of it's like pounds. That's 30 pounds a day, which is crazy. And it's, they're making the, they're making the area bigger. And I can see this going more and more other cities and electric definitely. Bikes, no doubt about it. Even electric scooters, uh, I can see them coming very popular as well. A lot more and more people are using them to get around. I mean, I lived in Amsterdam for a year and it was fantastic. It's so well set up. Bicycles in that city. That there, oh, it doesn't yeah. matter if it's raining, snowing, everyone's on bicycles, specific bike paths, people speak to the rules. Um, I think it's fantastic. Great. I'm looking forward to uh, checking it out. And um, so, uh, yeah, so what does the future hold? Tell us what's how, I mean, I, you've obviously got the bikes, you've got your other job. I don't know how you find time for all this, but I, and also other startups. What's next? What's next? I think taking it just one day at a time now with, with COVID and what's going on. I really do enjoy working. Uh, I don't think I'll ever retire. So there's, there's probably about four more startups left in me <laughs> <laughs> for me personally to, to do. But I, I honestly, I'd like to get. I've been toying around with this idea, which is a marketing overhaul, which is helping companies, startups in particular, coming in and consulting and working with them to look at the data, look at the messaging and helping their teams elevate what they're doing and figuring it out, especially if they're going for investment rounds and that's their path and trajectories right. to go for, you know, series, you know, different series and getting things set up right, making sure they're, they're on the right path and have that explosive growth moment of going from zero to 60 in you know three, four months. How do we get to that and getting their teams? Because again, startups right now, they don't have the funding. So you're not, you're not getting somebody from a $5 billion enterprise to come in and work for you tomorrow. But you've got to take what you have. And there's so much great young talent out there that could run circles around people at, at big companies. I'll, I'll just put that out there. But I think that they all need that, that head chef to make sure that they're doing it right. So coming in like the Gordon Ramsay type and... <laughs> Making sure you've got the people in the right spot and right. making sure that they're doing the job at a high level and getting them educated, getting them trained. And, um, I think that for me is where I, where I really want to go and, and, and working. I love working with companies in Europe too, because there's a huge, huge amount of potential. Right. And do you specialize in any industries or do you kind of work with all various startups? I work with all focus more on B2B for, especially with account based marketing, getting them set up and educated on that. But especially, you know, coming in from a B2B standpoint, I think it's it's a bit easier for me to take a lot of the methodologies that I've had and put in place to give that back to the startup community. B2C, that could be all over the place. There's depending on what what you're doing, who your audience is. But a lot of the, you know, the core fundamentals are the same. But I, I actually do like I like both, but I kind of edge more toward B2B companies with ABM. And you know, you know, you're I know you're doing your own startups, but do you, so do you also invest? In startups or is more consultative? I do. And I think that I think more people will start investing in startups now that there's uh, more availability to do that. And before it was really difficult to find different startups that were out there and understanding what they do. I think I remember the challenge I had as as a startup 
back in the day, trying to find investors that even understood what we do. They didn't have mobile phones even, or <laughs> if they did, it was a BlackBerry. And you're trying to tell them about what you can do on an iPhone. And they were like, I had no idea because they've never used it. It's a lot easier for investors to find companies now. And it's a lot easier for companies to get in front of the right investors. Tech stars and, and things like that are out there that make it incredibly easy for you to get in front of the right people and get into these incubators. And yep. everything's remote, which is great. Before you yep. typically try to head, head up a startup, you had to, you know, one of the recognitions that every startup had to have was that sign outside the, the door and the investors would want to come in and meet with you, meet the team, see what you look like. And if you said you were remote, it was a negative. Now it's, it's a positive. You're cutting back and you're hungry. And I mean, actually, the, I'll ask you just say, because I know I'm conscious of your time, uh, Rich, but w- one last question. So if a startup was to approach you, what, what do you look for in a startup in terms of to make them attractive for investment purposes? I think the number one thing is looking at the team, the vision of the CEO. Honestly, I'm not too concerned about the background of the CEO. I think that for some investors, that is important. For me, it's honestly, I look at what's the personality, what's the vision, and does this person inspire other people within his company and the team? You know, that's really at the end of the day, what's going to make a company. Are they able to adapt and pivot? Are they smart? Are they creative? And are they competent? And then, of course, you look at the business plan and the market and if there's a fit, there's still a lot of technologies out there that people don't understand. And you're kind of taking a, a roll of the dice. And some investors do that. I mean, they spread it out over 10 companies and one of them hits great. For me, I, I'd like to really get to know what the vision is of the CEO. And, and if you find the right CEO that has the passion and the drive, which hopefully it's not about making money and inspires and leads their team, that person can take no matter what comes along and keep their team humming and pivot and make the right decisions. And if you have the right team around that CEO, the right guidance, you can help them succeed. But if they're a, if they're a dud and they don't inspire that confidence, they're all in it for the money or for their fame or for themselves, they're not making the sacrifices. You know, They're not there Friday at 11.30 at night when things go wrong or 1 a.m. and they're expecting someone else to do it while they sleep. For me, that's, that's a, a failure. It, it's gonna happen eventually. Yeah. No go, yeah. Perseverance, hard work, definitely. I see it to myself time and time again. Listen, if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way, Rich? So the best way to reach me, my email is rich at richardrogers.net. And that's R-O-D-G-E-R-S for Rogers. Or LinkedIn with anyone, feel free to link in with me. It's Rich Rogers 360 on LinkedIn. And I'd love to go on about much longer, but I know my audience wouldn't have the time uh, if they decide, but we'd definitely love to come back another time. So thank you for your time today, Rich. Thank you, Ken.